Well, our sermon text for this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And this is the chapter that follows that initial fall from grace in the Garden of Eden. God had created a world that was perfectly designed for his prized creation, man and woman, to prosper, giving them responsibilities over all the animals in the world and molding them into beings designed for perfect relationship with each other and with their Father in heaven. But then, in an instant, that perfect relationship was destroyed by their decision to succumb to the temptation of being like God. They were tricked by the serpent, right? They, they sought the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate the forbidden fruit and disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3 transcribes for us the punishment levied by God as a result of that sin and the condition into which each subsequent human was born into, a sinful condition that separates us from God, that denies us that perfect relationship with God that he had intended for us to have. But even as Adam and Eve are informed of the consequences of their sin, God also delivers a promise of hope and pronounces his grace and his unfailing love for his prized creation. First off, we notice that God's promise and command to be fruitful and multiply, found in Genesis chapter 1, is not rescinded. Therefore, it remains a command for Adam and Eve even after the fall. This command partners with the proclamation in chapter 3, verse 15, where God promises that while there will be enmity between the serpent's offspring and Eve's offspring, when all is said and done, the serpent will bruise the heel and man will crush the serpent's head. The promise God makes here is that while there will be conflict, ultimately, Satan is going to lose and it will be Eve's offspring that will win the battle. So after God levies the punishment, Adam and Eve would be banished from the Garden of Eden and they would begin to grow their family. And that leads us into our text this morning, which again is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Would you please stand as you are able for the reading of God's holy word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we know that your word is truth. May you use your word as recorded in scripture to strengthen our understanding of your mercy and your love for us. Lord, you have promised that you will fight for us. And you have conquered our adversary through your son on the cross, winning us the opportunity to spend eternity with you in heaven. We praise you for that, while we also strive to be stewards of the gifts you have given us on earth. Bless us with your truth this morning. Amen. You may be seated. In our text this morning, we see a comparison made between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, the Bible makes many comparisons between two people, especially in the Gospels. When we read some of Jesus' parables, and these comparisons between two people... One of those people gets it right, and the other gets it wrong. For example, you have two men named Jacob and Esau attributing different values to a birthright in Genesis 25. You have two men who are building a house, one on the sand and the other on a rock in Matthew 7. You have two men being compared in Luke 16, one who feasts every day in his mansion enjoying his earthly wealth, but winds up outside the kingdom of heaven. And then Lazarus, who lives a life of poverty and misery, but enjoys heavenly riches when his days on earth are over. There are the two men that are crucified on either side of Jesus, one who scathingly suggests that Jesus free him from the cross if he's so powerful, and the other who admitted guilt to his sin and proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ. And then, of course, in Luke 18, which Pastor Mike read earlier, we have the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And there are even more examples than this. And our story this morning begins with one of these comparisons as well. Adam knew his wife Eve in a way that is only appropriate within the bonds of marriage. And Eve gave birth to her first son, whom she named Cain, followed by her first son's brother, who was called Abel. Sorry, guys, getting over a cold. We're, we're working through it here. Now, noteworthy here at the beginning of our passage is the name given to each of these brothers. First, Eve bears a boy, whom she names Cain, which is a name that speaks to Eve's celebration, saying that this is the man, this is a man of the Lord. <clears throat> then later, perhaps even moments later, as scripture leaves open the possibility that Cain and Abel were twins, 
Abel is born, referred to as Cain's brother. And his name has a somewhat interesting meaning as well. Unlike Cain, which is a name of positivity and hope, Abel is a name that means very much the opposite, as it takes on a very ecclesiastical tone of meaning. It means like vanity and nothingness. Now, it's possible to look into these names Eve gave her first two boys and interpret a sense of hope she had for Cain, the firstborn, and a sense of sorrow as a result of the fall in Abel. In fact, Martin Luther himself interprets our passage this way, deducing that it was possible that Eve considered Cain, her firstborn son, to be the offspring God had promised that would crush the head of the serpent, righting the wrong that Adam and Eve had committed in the Garden of Eden. But while Eve was certainly right to hold tightly to God's divine promise to conquer the serpent through her offspring, she erred in assigning a lofty and joyful name to her firstborn son, because on that day, when she gazed down at her firstborn son, she wasn't looking fondly at the one whom God had sent to save the world. No, she was looking at the first murderer in history. And then Abel is born. You may notice that here in our passage, Scripture calls neither Cain nor Abel Eve's son. That title is saved for Seth later in the chapter, whose lineage God used to fulfill his promise of a savior. But after Cain and Abel are born, we don't really know much about what immediately happened next, other than Adam and Eve were busy raising Cain and Abel. Scripture says that Cain worked the ground, so he was a farmer, and Abel kept the sheep. Cain followed in his father's footsteps as a worker of the ground, albeit no longer in the Garden of Eden, and with more difficulty than God had originally intended. And Abel tended the flock. Both of the boys were workers, and they had occupations. And I do bring this up for a specific reason. Perhaps you've heard it said, uh, probably by someone my age or younger, uh, specifically someone who doesn't like to work, that part of God's curse on mankind was that we now have to work. That if Adam and Eve had never sinned in the garden, that they'd never fallen into sin, work wouldn't be a thing. And folks, I can tell you with confidence that's just not true. Work is not a curse from God. In fact, it's part of the perfect design. Genesis 2:15 says that God created Adam. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So work has always been part of our design. Now it's a little harder as a result of God's punishment. We have thorns and thistles now. We have droughts now, as many of you know. Uh, many of you know that farming is very, very hard work. But work in and of itself was always a part of the plan. So don't let those kids tell you otherwise. And Cain and Abel's work correlates with their worship, as we see here in the text. After the passing of a specific amount of time, which many understand to mean at the time of the harvest, an offering is brought to the Lord by both men. However, God has high regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. 
Why? I would like to quickly point out that while Cain and Abel had different responsibilities, God's acceptance of their sacrifice has nothing to do with the fact that Cain brought plants and Abel brought animals. When I was a kid, whenever I heard this story, I always figured that, of course, happy, God was happy with Abel's sacrifice. Abel brought meat. It made sense to me that Cain's sacrifice of fruits or vegetables was inferior because it was inferior in my mind. Of course it was. But in reality, that had nothing to do with it. Cain brings to God what grows from the ground, and Abel brings to God what he shepherds in the field. That part's pretty straightforward. So then, what was the difference between these two offerings? Pastor Skip Heitzig gives a twofold answer to this question, and I'm led to agree with him. The first reason is the character of the offering. As we talked about up here, verse 3 says that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, which sounds fine until you contrast it with Abel, who brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. Scripture indicates here that the quality of Cain's offering was not the highest. It appears as though Cain didn't care about the quality of the sacrifice and brought only what was necessary to the altar to fulfill a requirement. Contrasted with Abel, who gave the first and best portion of the flock to the Lord, taking care not only to, give, to only give the best as a sacrifice to God. The first reason is the character of the, of the offering, and the second reason is the character of the offerer. The character of the offerer. If we skip down to verse 7, the Lord says to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? Or if you live right, will you not be accepted? God's response to Cain's anger gets straight to the heart of the problem. And I sort of mean that literally. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God because Cain wasn't living a life that pleased God. Cain wasn't living a life of faith. Perhaps he was living pompously because of his name and his assumed identity as, as something special, as Luther believes. Perhaps he was just going through the motions in faith and sacrifice, abiding by the rules and statutes that his father Adam had taught he and his brother. But either way, Cain, in our sermon text today, has the same heart as the Pharisee in our gospel reading from earlier this morning. He figured that checking the boxes in his relationship with God was all that was necessary. He thought that made him good. Meanwhile, Scripture shows that Abel was more like the tax collector from the same gospel passage, coming into the world with a name of humility, seemingly not expected to amount to anything near what his older brother represented, perhaps not looked at nearly as fondly as his brother Cain, and yet, despite all of that, Abel not only brought an offering of the best of his flock, but Scripture indicates he lived his life with a heart for the Lord as well. Brothers and sisters, this is an incredibly important lesson for us. As we know, sacrifices like we see in our text this morning aren't really part of our worship today. 
But let's look at what these sacrifices really represent. These two men, Cain and Abel, at the appointed time, came to the Lord and brought gifts. Gifts from what the Lord had provided for them. And they finished their work, and they gathered their gifts. They prepared their hearts, one better than the other, of course, and went to the Lord. Isn't that exactly what all of us have done this morning? See, to me, this passage in Genesis 4 describes the first church service and points to the danger we face when we take worship of and communion with the Father lightly. Cain had not prepared his heart. Cain offered only what was necessary and nothing more, and God was displeased. Abel lived in faith, prepared his heart, offered the best of the gifts that he had been given, the fat of the firstborn of his flock, gave God the best of what he had instead of what was left over, and so found favor in God's eyes. I'll be honest with you right now, as I prepared this message this week, uh, there were times I did so with a begrudging heart, with an attitude of, of getting it done, rather than one that honored the Lord, and I've been convicted in that. So while we as people are only able to see outward expressions of faith, because that's our human limitation, God sees the heart. Right? The Pharisee in the passage from Luke surely looked really good to whoever was watching. They must have thought, oh, this man is he's so pious. He has such a heart for God. Look at him pray. Look at him tithe. He's a spiritual pillar in the community. But what did God see in the Pharisee? He saw the pride and the self-righteousness in his heart. He saw a man who was not giving and praying because of his faith, but a man who was giving and praying to impress others and inflate his own corrupted sense of righteousness. Yet the tax collector, who was despised by his peers, came to the Lord with a heart of contrition, recognizing his own sin and his dire need for a Savior. Are our hearts in that same condition? As we walked into the sanctuary this morning, was our spirit like the repent, repentant like the tax collector? Do we bring our gifts before the Lord with a joyful heart and from the first and best of what's given to us, as Abel did? As we prepare to go to the Lord's table for Holy Communion, we will once again have a few moments to prepare our hearts to go before the Lord, partaking in Jesus' body and blood. You see, God, our Father in heaven, he gave of his first fruits. He gave his one and only son to die on the cross for sinners like us. And he gave his son joyfully because he loves us more than we could ever know. And Jesus, who shed his body and blood on the cross, gave his very life willingly in obedience to the Father so that we might be saved through his death and resurrection. May we emulate that spirit and have faith in that promise as we go before the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you for your willingness to send your only son for us, a broken, prideful, and sinful people. As we go to your table this morning, convict our hearts that we may seek your grace and forgiveness and also seek to give you the first and best from what you have given us. Bless the remainder of this service and may you be glorified by it and by your people for eternity. Amen.